Hello, everyone. I am your host, Natalie Gra. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I am thrilled to share this episode with you. This conversation has left me inspired and fired. Our guest today is Pedro Valente. Pedro grew up in the Jiu-Jitsu tradition. At the age of 18, he moved to Florida from Brazil. Today, he carries on the Jiu-Jitsu tradition with his self-defense school and training center, Valente Brothers, in Miami. The Valente brothers were born into the Jiu-Jitsu tradition. Pedro, Guy, and Joaquin began learning Jiu-Jitsu from their father before they could even walk. At the age of two, Pedro, Guy, and Joaquin were already taking private lessons from Grand Master Elio Gracie. Growing up, the Valenti brothers trained daily at the Gracie Academy in Rio de Janeiro under Elio Royler and Rolker Gracie. Pedro Sr. always wanted his sons to learn jiu-jitsu as a complete fighting system. This is an amazing story of commitment, discipline, and mission. The Valenti brothers have taught jiu-jitsu to thousands of people from all walks of life. Celebrities, athletes, children, people in their young 80s, <laughs> several law enforcement officers from agencies such as the FBI, U.S. Customs, U.S. Secret Service, U.S. Southern Command, Miami Date Special Response Teams, Miami Police Department, and many others. This episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School. We are a Yoga Alliance registered school. Join our 200-hour yoga training and deepen your practice or our professional 300-hour teacher's program. All our programs are available online through our virtual school. Our students are from around the globe, Learn yoga philosophy and the practice from the comfort of your home. Navigate our digital library at your own pace. Check out shantiyogatrainingschool.com. For jiu-jitsu training, connect with Pedro School, valentebrothers.com. This is also included in our show notes. Without further ado, please enjoy Pedro Valenti. Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. So... I love what you just said. I want to talk about the philosophy so much. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. But also, before we move into that, the fact that what we were talking about, that you started so young and this is what you're still doing. You know, you're one of the only people I know, and I am one of those people too, that I don't even think it was a question. And you tell me, I don't know, I'm speaking for myself, but for me, You know how so many people don't know what they're going to do when they graduate or in their life? And I've always been told by some of my mentors that it was such a blessing for me because I started yoga so young and there was never a question like I was doing what I was always going to do. And I just always did it and I still do it. So this idea of like finding my vocation or finding something In yoga, we call it the Dharma, you know, like what you're here for, like your life mission, like what you want. And I think that you had that because you've been doing this forever. So did you ever have a point that you were like, what am I going to do with my life? I mean, you always knew, like, how does this work? Because, you know, you've basically been in your profession for like your whole lifetime. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's It's true. funny. <laughs> no, it's interesting because... I'm sure that as you remember, when we were in school, you pointed out that it was part of my identity back then as a child, as a teenager. And I knew from the beginning who I was going to be. I didn't necessarily know, and I'm talking about at a conscious level, 
an unconscious level, I think I always knew. But at a conscious level, I knew who I was going to be in the sense that I knew that jiu-jitsu was always going to be with me and whatever I would be doing in life, I would still be the person that I am and that I was and that I continue to be. But I didn't know exactly that I was going to do jiu-jitsu as a profession, as a livelihood. That I didn't know. And when I moved to the United States, you know, I attended the University of Miami. That's why I moved. And I studied international business, finance, marketing. And I knew that I was going to continue to do jiu-jitsu, but I thought that it was going to continue to be a hobby. I don't even know if I can call it a hobby, but an extra curricular activity and not my way of making a living. And what happened was that when I arrived in Miami, a few months later, and you know, I believe that there are no coincidences, but it's amazing that how three months after I arrived, jiu-jitsu exploded with the UFC, which at the time was a competition that demonstrated that jiu-jitsu was the most powerful martial art in many ways. And so jiu-jitsu became a craze. Many people wanted to learn. And I started teaching friends in college at the university. Eventually, I started getting more students, more students. When I graduated, I still got a job in a telecommunications company, corporate America, but I never stopped teaching. And then I went back to school for my MBA, also at the University of Miami. And when I finished my MBA, I had so many students that I had to make a decision if I was going to follow a path of trying to maximize my financial wealth, which definitely would have been a different path. And I had that opportunity with, you know, once I graduated from a very prestigious program, and, you know, the job offers that I had, or if I was going to pursue my passion and if I was going to spend the rest of my life doing what I love and doing what I really believe in as a transformative force for society, for my community, for society as a whole. And it was not an easy decision, but I'm very happy that I made what I consider now the right decision. And then my brothers, you know, when they graduated from the American school in Rio, they also came and they also graduated from American universities here in Miami, but they already knew because they already saw what I was doing and they believed in it. And so as soon as they finished, they started they actually, you know, from the beginning, they were already helping. And as soon as they finished, they started working with me. And that's how Valente Brothers came about, the three brothers working together, you know, with the same focus and the same objective, each one in a individual particular way. So who is Elio Gracie? And it raises our teachers, our grandmaster. He's someone who will be remembered probably three, four, five hundred years from now. So you study with him. I study with him. He was like a grandfather to me. And your father studied with him too. And my grandfather. And your grandfather. Wow. So three generations. So tell me a little bit about him. He's a genius. You know, he's someone who is going to be remembered, as I said. One day, my wife is Russian, so I was in Russia visiting her family and we were in the outskirts of Moscow, in the middle of nowhere. And I saw a martial arts school. I said, stop the car, let me go. I just want to check it out, see what they're doing. And as I walk in, there's a huge picture of Elio Gracie on the wall. And I was like, wow, here in the middle of Russia. And there's a picture of my teacher. I was very, very touched by that. And it's not just in Russia, it's anywhere in the world, everywhere. You're going to find people who know who he is and who follow. So what was so special about him? kid, he learned jiu-jitsu. He was not big and strong. And he really identified with jiu-jitsu because he was an insecure child, always getting into fights, emotional problems, very nervous, very angry, very aggressive. And he found in jiu-jitsu a way to improve and to become more calm and to become more patient and to become more confident, most importantly, and to be able to deal with people in a more positive way. Through jiu-jitsu, he learned it from his older brother, who was very, very wise and, and really studied jiu-jitsu deeply, not only the technical aspects, but he was really into the philosophy. And then through jiu-jitsu, he learned about nutrition. He learned about how to be healthy, how to have a healthy body and a healthy mind, the men's son and corporate son, the old saying of the Romans, which is a healthy mind and a healthy body. So he really found those answers that he was searching for in jiu-jitsu. He connected with that in a very deep way. And he dedicated 80 years without interruption of his life to teaching jiu-jitsu. And he touched so many people and he was able to teach his family. And many of them also started teaching jiu-jitsu. So he created a legacy, not only with his family, but also with his students. And it's something that he continued to do until he was 94, 95 years old. Oh my God. With the same passion as he did it when he was in his 20s. And we were able to witness that. He would come to Miami 
once or twice a year, every year. And he would stay in our house and he would spend two weeks and he would be on the mat when he was 93. And he was hanging out with the kids as if he was one of them. And, you know, very young, very healthy, able to train, walk around, get up, fall on the ground, you know, amazing. So different than most people his age. And I think that that passion and that dedication is so difficult to dedicate yourself to something for a long, long time. You know, as we get older, we see how people come and go. In jiu-jitsu, it happens a lot. I'm sure in yoga, is the same thing. Mm -hmm. People do very well, but then they move on and they do something else. It's very rare that you see people who dedicate an entire life to something, especially to teaching something, right? When it's not about them, it's about transferring the information to others, especially if you focus on it as a sport. An athlete has his or her time, right? You're at your peak and you're performing, but then you get older and little by little it, it fades away. But a teacher doesn't have to fade away. A teacher can continue to grow and develop until the end because it's not dependent on physical. Oh, that's so beautiful. He was able to do that. And also he developed a state of connection with the principles of jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is very deep philosophically and it takes time to understand. It takes a lifetime to understand. And I think that more than anyone, he was able to connect with jiu-jitsu, with the essence of jiu-jitsu, with the principles of jiu-jitsu. And that essence, he embodied that through his life. And so people would be, you know, attracted to him for that. And he just left something that is very special for all of us who want to continue. Obviously, that transmission that you're talking about, we have that in yoga too, right? The lineage, the transmission, that purity. I feel he transmitted that to you and to other teachers that are amazing now that are carrying on this legacy. It's almost like passing a torch. And it's so beautiful because also I think he taught you from what I'm hearing and just from knowing that dedication, that it's so inspiring. It's so inspirational to see that commitment and the dedication and the practice, you know, the practice. Because I wanted to bring this up. I saw a TED Talk that you did, one that's maybe 20 minutes. I'm going to include this TED Talk on the show notes so that all of you listeners can go and listen to it because I loved it. And I'm going to show it to everybody in my yoga training school. And you were talking about philosophy versus practice, you know, and you were talking about how we can also talk so much about the philosophy and everything, but we have to practice all these things, like to apply it to our life. And I was like, wow, that's really amazing. And also you talked about the preservation of this philosophy. And I really connect with that because I feel one of my missions is as yoga gets watered down over, you know, time, which happens, it just gets so popular, but also watered down. I want to preserve, you know, the masters that I study with and the tradition where it comes from. Not that I'm not like standing on the shoulders of the past and I'm open to innovation, but I want that essence that's so, you need people like you, like, you know, you need people like your teacher, your father, your grandfather, now you, your brothers, and how you're transmitting that to all of your students. I find that very inspirational. Yeah, because as I described before, jiu-jitsu has many expressions. I'm sure yoga does as well. And people practice it in different ways. For many years, I would have an expectation that everyone should practice it in a certain way. But then as I matured, I understood that jiu-jitsu has different expressions and that people are free to practice it in the way that suits them best. And it's not for us to interfere with their path and with their journey and what they're trying to achieve. And as you know, with great teachers, they know that their lessons will only be understood by those who are ready to learn. There's a famous quote that says that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And so even though Elio Gracie was so famous, he would only teach you if he felt that you were not only ready, but interested in what he had to teach. So people imagine, oh, he was such a famous teacher. He must have so many disciples. But that's not really the case because in order to learn, especially the deeper elements of the art, you have to spend a lot of time and you have to be truly dedicated and interested. And many people were more interested in the sportive expression of jiu-jitsu and the competition in winning tournaments. And that is a very intense experience that requires so much dedication as well. So it's difficult to be able to master everything at the same time. And because my brothers and I, our goal with jiu-jitsu 
as we learned from our father, was not to become a champion in tournaments, but to become a champion in life. That was our objective. So that made us very interested in this philosophical system. And that's why we spent so much time with him, asking questions, learning that from him. And because of that, because we feel that that knowledge can easily be lost, we talk about the preservation of this philosophy because we don't want it to be lost. It's not that we believe that this expression of jiu-jitsu is better than any other. It's not that. It is definitely different. And because it's different, we want to make sure that the people who are interested in learning that, as we were in our childhood, as my father was, we want the people who are interested in that expression of jiu-jitsu to be able to find it. Because if it doesn't exist, then it cannot be found. And in this TED Talk, you spoke about mental strength how there is this physical practice, but also how this can really mentally strengthen you so that no matter what what comes in life, you can hold your ground. You know, you can relax even under pressure. Can you please talk a little bit about that? Because I love that philosophy. Yes. So the psychology of jiu-jitsu is a psychology of confidence, which leads to self-esteem. So you have two elements that you must understand self-confidence and self-esteem. When you talk about self-confidence, you have different types of self-confidence. You can be confident in one area, but you might not be confident in another area. You might be confident in your physical skills, but you might not be comfortable in your intellectual skills and vice versa. You might be confident in your ability to ride a horse, but you might not be confident in your ability to write an essay. So there are different types of confidences. Now, self-esteem is one thing. It's how you see yourself, how you value yourself, right? You can get an estimate for a house. You can get an estimate for a boat. Estimate, esteem. What, if you have to make an estimate of yourself, how much are you worth? What is your value? That's your self-esteem. When you answer your question about yourself, how much do you think Natalie is worth? That's your self-esteem. And by building different types of self-confidences, we believe that it is possible to improve, to raise your self-esteem. And we believe that there's no mental strength, true mental strength, spiritual strength, right? Fulfillment as a human being without a high self-esteem. And we believe that physical confidence is an important part of that mix. Abraham Maslow, who is one of the fathers of American psychology, he talked about the human necessities. There's even a pyramid of the human needs. And one of the first ones is self-preservation, is the instinct of security, knowing that you can defend yourself, being able to feel secure. And as human beings, we are vulnerable, right? If I strike your body, it doesn't even have to be hard. You're going to feel pain. So there is an instinct of self-preservation. If you look at every animal in the wild, every mammal has a specific method of self-defense, a method of protecting themselves against a sudden attack. The giraffe uses the long neck to sort of slap anyone who tries to attack. The elephant uses the trunk. The cats use the claws. Lions, they use their canines. You know, you have the different species, the kangaroos, they punch and kick. And they don't take self-defense lessons. The same with swimming, with a few exceptions. Every mammal can swim naturally without taking any swimming lessons. We as human beings have lost these instincts, which are, in our view, human necessities, human needs. The instinct of swimming. So I believe that every human being should know how to swim. And I also believe that every human being should know how to defend against a sudden attack efficiently, technically. And that creates peace of mind. Once we fulfill this need by learning how to defend, not in an aggressive way, not to beat someone up, just to survive, to defend, to neutralize violence, to neutralize aggression. Sometimes people come to me and say, but jiu-jitsu, isn't that an expression of violence? They know it's the opposite. It's an art that teaches you how to neutralize violence. And when you learn how to neutralize violence physically, you learn how to do it mentally, spiritually as well because they are all connected. And so by developing your fighting spirits, by developing your spiritual strength, by developing your mental strength, by developing your physical confidence, which is not the only confidence, 
You also need to develop your intellectual confidence by studying, by reading. That's also very important. As you develop these different types of confidences, you raise your self-esteem and only through a higher self-esteem, you can achieve what I called in that TED Talk mental strength, which we can also call spiritual strength, fulfillment, which is the only path towards internal peace. Our philosophy is very much based on the Japanese samurai warriors. They believed in this cultivation of both the physical warrior skills of fighting, at the same time developing the intellectual arts. They have an expression which we have on our main wall on the mat, which is bun buryodo, which means that the path is in the combination of the martial arts and the intellectual academic arts, that you need those two kinds of confidences to be able to be in the right way. And also the samurai warriors, you're going to like this one. They taught their children three things. Every samurai children had to learn three things. Jiu-jitsu, how to defend, swimming, and what's the third? Horseback riding. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, horseback riding. Not only because at the time it was the primary means of transportation, but also because of the relationship with the animal and the balance and the confidence that you develop being able to control an animal that weighs almost a ton, you know, as a child and the harmony in that relationship. My father put us to do those three things when we were growing up because of that samurai influence. We learned how to swim, we learned how to ride horses, and we learned jujitsu. Wow, I didn't realize that. That's so good. There's a beautiful quote. I think it says, there's something about a horse that makes the inside of a man a little stronger. Something like that. 100%. I believe in that wholeheartedly. I advise everyone who has children to have them learn how to ride horses. I think it's so good. Yes. Yeah, wow. I'm impressed. There's so many core relations in your philosophy and in the martial art and the Japanese samurai, everything that you're talking about that is, you know, with what I do too, with the yoga and all the meditation and all these things that I do, the mindful living, there's so many connections. So another philosophy I wanted to bring in, ask you, because I love it. And I actually teach this to my students. You talked about the bamboo like how the bamboo is so connected. And when you had your school, you planted the bamboo and then the storm came and the bamboo survived because the flow, it bent. Can you please tell us that story? I mean, it's just so, or tell something about the bamboo because one thing I tell my students, you have to be in the flow. You know, there's something so powerful about the flow of life. No, absolutely. And the bamboo is a great example of this philosophy. And I talked about that in the TED Talk. And the reason why our understanding of philosophy and of life connects so much is because there is a historical connection between your field of study and mine. The philosophy of jiu-jitsu comes, even though the art is Japanese, it comes from China. And if you understand the Tao Te Ching, Taoism, and all of that, and even Buddhism, there is a connection with the north of India and with yoga. So all of these arts are deeply connected. And in many ways, when we speak of the philosophy, we are speaking the same language, just in different ways. So the bamboo has a few features which are extremely important for us to use as an analogy to what we want to achieve in our lives. And when you talk about flow, the state of flow, the only way to truly flow is if you can empty your mind, empty your mind of any prejudices, of any negative feelings, and to be able to be in the moment. The concept that the Japanese call mushin, which is no mind, empty mind. And the empty mind allows for a complete presence of mind. And people might think, wait, but you're talking about two opposite things. Is it empty or is it fully present? They both connect. They both become the same. The only way to be fully present is if you can empty it. I'm making a note, mushin. You said mushin. mushin. I like this. I'm going to look this up later. M-U-S-H-I-N. Mushin. You can read about these deep philosophical discussions that took place hundreds of years ago about Muga Mushin and Yuga Yushin. One being the emptiness of mind and the other one being the presence of mind, the fullness of the mind with the present moment and how these two things can seem contradictory, but how in the end they connect and they become the same. And in order to understand that, you need to understand the difference between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And flow happens at the unconscious level, not at the conscious level. 
I love that. Oh my God. Slow happens in the unconscious level. Correct. Yeah, that makes so much sense. If you're overthinking, you cannot flow. And how do you develop something at the unconscious level? By practicing it consciously first. And through the repetition of those movements and skills, they become habits and they start becoming unconscious. We can talk about physical skills, but we can also talk about mental and spiritual skills that initially will require a conscious effort, a decision, a choice. I want to be honest. I want to be benevolent. But then once you do that so many times, it just becomes a part of who you are and it becomes instinctive, unconscious, or flow. Yeah, instinctive. So when you are in a day, this brings me to, I'm trying to think like, I totally get this. This makes so much sense to me. So when you are in a day that you were like training, maybe maybe not training for a fight or training for a fight, or maybe just learning the method and you're on the roll, what does a day look like for you? Can you walk us through a day? Like, what time do you get up? What do you eat in the morning? Like, how is that training? Is there a part that there's a mental? Do you stop? I mean, what do you do in a day when you're on a roll? Absolutely. And let me tell you, one of the main features of the expression of jiu-jitsu that I focus on is that I don't train for a fight. The only fight that I train for is the fight of life in the positive sense of the word fight. So when people ask me, how many hours a day do you train jiu-jitsu? I'm like 24. <laughs> because yeah. even my rest is jiu-jitsu. Even when I'm sleeping, I am practicing jiu-jitsu. And 365 days of the year, the concept is not that, I, oh, I'm going to prepare for this fight. And then once the fight is over, I'm going to then party and relax. No, because I don't train for a fight. Jiu-jitsu for me is not a sport. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. And many people, they say, no, but come on, how are you going to promote jiu-jitsu if not by the sportive aspect how is it going to grow you need a competition and then you know what i always say i always say well look at yoga as far as i'm concerned there's no yoga tournaments competitions no and yoga is huge so my approach is more similar to yoga the way i teach my classes is much more like a yoga than it is like a like tennis or a sport yeah that makes total sense to me even though i am preparing people 100% of the most effective techniques to be able to survive an assault. We don't compromise on that at all. However, it is for that and not for a specific date where they're going to enter a tournament or a competition. We train for life. Life is every day, every moment, not a specific moment when you're going to participate in a tournament. So to answer your question about how I train jiu-jitsu, I'm curious about like water intake, what you eat, like do you sleep at a regular sleep hour? You know, I'm always curious about that because of what I do too. So firstly, it's important to make very clear that I'm far from being perfect and <laughs> far from being able to live jujitsu in its fullest expression. That's my north, that's my direction. I strive for perfection. I really believe in moving towards perfection. But it's not something that can be achieved, which is great because it just is going to always give me room for improvement and I can always grow and there's no ceiling, which would be a very sad thing if I reached a point that would not allow me to continue to improve. So firstly, you know, I can tell you about my own habits, but they are full of flaws and full of mistakes because I'm human and that's okay. But I do try my best to live according to this philosophy and to live according to this way of life. Pedro, let me just say this real quick. You were disciplined as a teenager, so I can't imagine now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm better now. <laughs> so yeah, discipline is a big part of our lives, and I believe in discipline a lot. But the flow discipline, not a rigid discipline that is creating stress. Quite the opposite. However, what is my expression of jujitsu? I think there's a better way to answer your question. We organized a system to explain the philosophy of jiu-jitsu, and it's called the 753 Code. And the 753 Code is a complete guide to expressing the jiu-jitsu philosophy in your day-to-day -day life. So if someone asks me, how do I apply the jiu-jitsu philosophy to my life? As you described before, the difference between theory and practice. How do I apply? I'm like, take the 753 Code, seven words, five words, three words, a total of 15 words. 
and then give yourself a score in each one of those words with a pencil. And then a week later or two weeks later or one month later, change the score if you improved. Or if you went down, then you have to reflect that as well. And then your objective is going to be to get better in each one of these elements. And all of them work together and you cannot cherry pick. You have to live them all. So when I think about waking up, the first thing that comes to mind is one of the words of the 753 code, which is hygiene. We believe that thorough hygiene, that self-respect means that you're going to be always very clean. And so I go to the bathroom, I shower, I clean myself, I make sure that I am very clean. Oral hygiene, brushing your teeth, all those things to make sure that your hygiene is impeccable because dirty body is going to create a dirty mind. Then I eat. And we have another word in the 753 code, nutrition. And we believe a lot in plant-based foods. I'm not 100% plant-based, but I believe in the energy and the power of plant-based foods. I've been doing that my whole life, even more now than before. We really, really believe in the health benefits of fruits. A lot of people have been giving fruits a bad rap because of sugar, thinking that the sugar of fruit is equivalent to other types of artificial sugars. Respectfully disagree with that opinion. We believe that the sugar in fruit is different in connection to your body than the sugar found in, in soft drinks and other foods that are going to be negative. They're not going to be positive for your health. So we do eat high quantity of fruits. And I like to start my day with fresh, sweet fruits. And then I go to jujitsu. What time do you get up? You know, the thing is that my last class is late. I usually go to sleep late. I would love to sleep with the sun <laughs> and wake up with the sun. Yeah. But unfortunately, given my schedule, that's not possible. Then it depends. Yeah. Because a lot of people come to me after work, but I usually wake up, you know, a little bit before 8 a.m. I don't wake up too early. And then I do the things I told you. I eat and then I go to the school. I live close to the school and I live close to the beach. If I have a chance to go to the beach before going to the school and going to the ocean and meditating in front of the ocean and doing my breathing exercises, that's something that I really value. And, and that's why I like to live right on the beach. Fortunately, I have that possibility. And, you know, I go down the elevator and I'm on the sand. And jumping in the ocean, I really believe in the energy from the sun, the energy from the, the ocean, and as a great place for breathing and meditating. And I try to do that, be in the water, the salt water. I think it's amazing. The salt water is very cleansing body, mind, spirit for the whole system, the whole soul. Yes. And the body, the physical body too. I really believe in that. And the sun is the master, the creator of all things. So. You know, that light from the sun, that frequency, it's like can change yes. everything. Does jiu-jitsu have their own meditation or is just meditation like the one I do too? You know, it doesn't have a specific mantra or, or a specific form of meditation. I'm always studying different arts. You know, we never limit ourselves to, oh, jiu-jitsu does this. That's all I can do. Absolutely not. Because jiu-jitsu is a way, is a principle. And I can find ways or forms to enhance the jiu-jitsu way in many activities, including yoga. There's a big connection between jiu-jitsu mm -hmm. and yoga, among other elements and other practices. So it's about what works for you. And so it's difficult to say, oh, jiu-jitsu has a specific breathing technique or meditating technique that is taught in all jiu-jitsu schools. Absolutely not. But I believe in many strategies and many practices that allow you to meditate. And for me personally, the practice of meditation is one that is simple. I try not to complicate it. It's the quest through breathing and pause of achieving internal relaxation, right? That's the purpose of meditation for me, is to be able to internally relax. And so different people will achieve that in different ways. Some people achieve that in a position where there's no movement, but others achieve that with movement. For example, one great way for me to meditate is to be in the ocean with the waves and then the water forces you to breathe as you go up and down in a certain way. And as the movement and the dancing of the waves will move your body in a certain way. And that works for me very well in achieving internal relaxation. In that flow too, internal flow. Absolutely. Which is beautiful. You know, for me also different breathing techniques where I sit or even lay down and I can use breathing to be able to achieve that state 
of internal peace and internal relaxation. So I have different strategies that I use to be able to internally relax. And I believe that they are 100% jiu-jitsu. But when you ask me, does jiu-jitsu have these practices? Well, it depends on who you ask, which teacher you're training with. It is not something that jiu-jitsu is very different from one place to the other. There's no, I believe that with yoga is the same thing. You can go to two yoga schools and you can find completely different things. And jiu-jitsu is the same way. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. Yeah, because in yoga, there's could be so different from one school to another. Same with jiu-jitsu. Oh, okay. So what about, could you speak someone, the alcohol, is that like a mild or do you try to inspire your students not to drink? Do I try to inspire my students not to drink? Yes, 100% through my example. But do I judge a person who drinks or do I think it's something horrible? No. Do you drink alcohol? No, I've never tried alcohol in my life. Are you serious? Never. Never. Not even a sip. Never, ever. Wow. Not one time, not one sip. Wow. So because of that focus? Yes, because I was inspired by my teacher. That's so impressive. The same way that you asked, you know, do you try to inspire your students not to drink? I don't tell them not to drink, but I do try to inspire because my teacher inspired me not to drink. But when they come to the school and they say they enroll for a program or a class, I don't know how you guys do it, then say they start doing that, then they get curious about these other aspects. Do they come to you guys and say, okay, teachers, what do you guys think about eating or can they get books? I mean, how does that work? Because that happens in yoga. Like, you know, people start the asana, the practice, and then they want to know about the philosophy and this and that. And how do you eat? How does that work for your school? So in our school, we have a philosophy talk once a week. Okay, that's great. So in that class, we talk about the 753 code and we talk about different subjects. We have written a book and I'll send you one. I would love to read that. The 753 code, Introduction to the Jiu-Jitsu Philosophy. It's a very short book, but it talks about the 753 code. And that's something that our students you know, who are interested can get and can understand more deeply the 753 code. And our philosophy. And yes, today, for example, today I taught five private lessons before our talk. It's usually not that much, but coincidentally, three of them today were full conversations, no physical training. Mm, Wow, I love that. So the philosophy is an integral part of what we do. And many students, they come to us wanting to learn that. And obviously, the physical training is always going to be a part of it because to learn jujitsu, you have to learn how to defend yourself. And we believe that by learning how to defend yourself, that has an effect on your mind and your ability to find that internal peace that we describe. But many times they come in wanting to talk about nutrition and then we'll talk about nutrition. Other days they might come wanting to talk about flow and we'll talk about flow. And other days they might want to come and talk about rectitude and courage and you know whatever element of the 753 code they might be interested in. We're always willing to share and to help them in their journey. Going back to the alcohol, the reason why I don't use alcohol and my brothers as well is because we are constantly trying to develop our mental strength. And we believe that any mind-altering substance, anytime you use a substance, an artificial substance, an external substance, to be able to ease your mind in any way, you are weakening your ability to do it on your own. So we want to be able to develop something called presence of mind, which is in the face of an emergency to stay calm in what would be considered by many a very stressful situation to not allow that to affect us too much and to be able to maintain our emotional balance, our internal peace, even when dealing with very difficult situations with very stressful and dangerous situations. That is our objective, to cultivate what the Japanese call fudoshin. We talked about mushin, so now fudoshin, which is a state of imperturbability, of not being emotionally affected by things, which doesn't mean that you don't feel things deeply. It just means that you are not knocked off balance because we believe that the best way to feel things at an emotional level we never want to become cold and without emotion. But we believe that it's when you find balance, when you're balanced, that's when you can really feel life in a deep way. When you're out of balance, when your emotions are out of balance, when you're disturbed, when you are stressed, too excited, too depressed, too angry, too upset, 
in that state, you cannot truly feel the beauty of life, what life has to offer. And so we try to develop this emotional balance and the ability to self-soothe, the ability to achieve peace of mind naturally. When you use the assistance of substances, whatever they might be, and I don't care if they come from nature, if whatever, doesn't matter. If you're using a crutch, if you're using something to help you achieve that state of mind, you're weakening your ability to do it on your own. And that's why we don't use it. I teach this to my students. I have the same philosophy. So I appreciate you sharing. It's very inspirational for me, especially with, you know, so much. Sometimes you hear the opposite so much around. So I think it's important that we stand up for this and we believe in this. And I think this is very, very positive. That's why I was asking you. It means a lot to me for you to share this. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, so you have taught now thousands of students, thousands of classes probably. Yes. So tell us a little bit about who are the people who come to your school, like athletes. I heard the law too, right? Enforcement, all kinds of different people, right? From children. I've taught kids before they turned one. I've taught babies. And our oldest student right now, I shouldn't even use the word oldest because he's not old. He's just been here a long time. He's 82 years old. And that for me is not old at all because I was training with my teacher who was in his 90s and we were training jujitsu together all the time. So anyone, anywhere, women, men, children from all walks of life, different experiences, different belief systems, jujitsu is for everyone. As I said, it's a human necessity. It's something that enhances the human spirit by developing confidence and raising self-esteem. And so we have students from all walks of life, people from different... Demographics, background, everything. Everything, everything everything you can imagine. And the thing is that obviously we have specific applications of jiu-jitsu. For example, we teach the United States military, you know, the Navy, special forces, the most elite forces and they seek our services because they understand the effectiveness of our combat system. We teach police, a lot of law enforcement. Why? Because they know that we can teach them how to control someone in a humane way without hurting them, right? So jujitsu is the gentle art. It's an art where you can control someone, subdue someone without necessarily having to hurt them. I don't have to punch you in the face in order to control you. I have other tools to be able to control you. So for law enforcement, that's very good to be able to stop any violent act or minimize any violent act when law enforcement officers are doing their jobs. We have professional athletes who feel that it helps them philosophically to be able to achieve flow, to be able to balance their emotions, which are so important for athletic performance. So business men and women who want to be able to be more centered and more focused. So people from all walks of life, there's really something for everyone. And we've been very happy with the acceptance of our work and the growth of our school. And most importantly, the amazing individuals who are part of it. You know, during this pandemic, the support that we received from the community, you know, because it was, you know, jujitsu is a, is a close quarter activity. You know, it's very much contact, physical contact. But we immediately, when The quarantine started and everything closed. We started an online program and our community really embraced us and continued to stay connected. And then as soon as we were allowed to open, we created protocols for training with dummies. We used the jiu-jitsu philosophy, don't resist, adapt, accept and adapt. And we did that in a beautiful way here in our community and and the classes have been amazing, safe, everyone feels safe. We've already been teaching for two months since we opened and everything's safe, making people feel comfortable and no matter what their beliefs about the situation might be, everyone feels comfortable. We foster the spirit of mutual welfare and benefit. That's not just about you, but it's about making others feel comfortable and how your actions will have an impact on others. And it's been beautiful. It's been really, really nice. That's really being in the flow. What you just described right now, navigating the pandemic the way you guys did. To me, that's a mastery is that this is the example on a very practical, mundane way, being in the flow. You know, exactly the same thing happened to me when I had already a lot of stuff online, but when everything came down, I was online within, I didn't even question it. It is what it is. You know, this is what we do now. And then that's it. Everybody embraced it in the community and 
this whole thing of like trying to resist what is happening is just not good. It's just like, it's going to hold us back, you know? So I try to accept. A lot of people who practice jujitsu, even teach jujitsu, if you come to them and you ask them, what's the meaning of the word jujitsu? Most people have no idea. They just say jujitsu, jujitsu. You probably know that word for so many years, but you don't know what it means. Most people have no idea what I it means. I don't know what it means. Tell me, Most please. Most people don't. So it's two characters, two kanji characters, that, which are used in Japan, but actually the kanji characters are Chinese. And the second character is jitsu, means art or technique or science. It's the craft. And the Jew, so it's the art of Jew. And the Jew, which is the most important part, means exactly what you said. Don't resist, yield. It's very difficult to translate it into using our vocabulary, but the way I translate it in English is yielding flexibility, which is a state of flow. You don't resist, you yield. Yielding is the opposite of resisting. So when a force, if you push me, I'm not going to push you back. I'm going to pull you. If you pull me, then I'll push. I'll go with you. I don't fight you. And that's what we use to be able to defend ourselves physically. It's a technique based on the yielding because that's the only way a small person can overcome a bigger person. If you resist, if you trade strength for strength, you're going to lose if you're smaller. But if I use your strength to my advantage, then I can win. By learning that physically, then we also teach you that mentally. Somebody's trying to argue with you. You don't argue back. You learn how to deflect. You learn how to yield. You learn how to use that. You don't resist. And that's what we used in the pandemic. If you watch my TED Talk, I spoke of the most difficult situation in my life, which was when my father passed and I received the news of his passing. And I believe looking back that I was able to flow in that moment. And I went back to the mat and I continued to teach my class and everything. And a lot of people misunderstand that. They think, oh no, you're repressing a feeling or how can you be so cold? And it's exactly the opposite. I feel like it's being in harmony with nature and understanding that life and death are part of our experience. Obviously, we're going to have all those feelings and we cannot repress them and we have to allow them to express. But at the same time, the flow of life continues. And for me, walking back into those mats and continuing my activity was a way for me to show myself and to tell myself that life continues and that everything is okay. Well, since you share that, that was so powerful. And like I said, I hope everybody go on the link because I'm going to include for the TED Talk. But since you shared this, now I have to, because when I watched that, really touched me. Okay, so my father died. My father passed a few years ago. And I was in Los Angeles teaching a yoga training with my teacher there in Venice Beach. And I went for lunch at Cafe Gratitude in Venice Beach, Los Angeles. And when I was in Cafe Gratitude, my mother called me. I was in the middle of like an intensive teacher training, you know, people flying from all over to come do this. And I was there too, and really intense schedule. And I answered the phone at Cafe Gratitude. Interesting as in Cafe Gratitude, because everything on the walls, a lot of people have been there. So you probably know if you're listening and you've been there you know, about being grateful for life. Life is a gift. And all these things, all the wall, plasters. And she said, your father passed. I was so upset, of course, like you. I was, was like one of the hardest moments in my life. But I took a deep breath and I just, I was by myself. I finished my lunch. And then I went back to the school. In this case, it was Exhale Center for Yoga. And I walked back and continued working and teaching my training. There was no question about stopping that. And then, you know, I talked to the staff, knew that this happened. And they said, my father was in Brazil, too. And I was in, you know, the United States. And they asked me, do you want to take some days off? Do you want to stop? What's going to happen? I said, no, I'm going to continue teaching. And a lot of people didn't understand. I had people come to me and say, what? That's strange how you're reacting to this. I said, no, it's exactly what you said. I don't have to explain it. You understand. <laughs> Absolutely. That thing of just you get up and you go and it doesn't mean you're not connected. It has nothing to do with that. Opposite. Opposite. It's what I was trying to explain to you before. When you allow for yourself to maintain a state of balance, that's when you can feel your emotions more deeply. Because when you're out of balance, you become blinded. 
So in a state of hysteria, and once again, no judgment, that could happen to anyone, even to me. But in a state of hysteria, you're not able to be in touch with your innermost feelings. You numb yourself. It's only when you find balance that you can really understand what you're truly feeling. Mm, that's beautiful, Pedro. And so by preserving your state of balance, and that's not easy to do, but by allowing yourself to accept and to flow, to go with the flow, then you can connect yourself with your innermost feelings in a much deeper way than when you are emotionally unbalanced. Yeah. It's that equanimity to that zero point, you know, that neutral, that zero point. It's so powerful. I want to ask about your school because I'm sure like if people are listening to this and like me, I'm very inspired by everything you just said. And somebody maybe even like me or that, you know, don't know jujitsu and they want to come study with you. Like you also can someone come that they're completely beginners, like they don't know anything and it's okay too? I love it when it's that. <laughs> okay. That's the best way, but it doesn't matter even if you train before. But people shouldn't be like scared or fear because sometimes like I feel like it's scary, you know, if you're like an adult and you're a beginner and you like, oh, I don't know. And these guys are so professional. That feeling of fear shows you that you really need it, Right. And the thing is that there's nothing to be scared about because when you come to our school, the idea is to give you confidence and never to break you, never to beat you up, never to hurt you in any way. It's to show you that you can do much more than what you believe you can. It's to show you that you have certain strengths inside of you that you could never imagine, to make you realize your innermost powers. And that's the journey of jiu-jitsu. And, and that's when you join our school, that's what we work very hard to achieve. Do you have any like maybe like special workshops or like a week intensive or something for people out of town? Like if somebody's listening, they say, oh, I want to come take 10 day vacation or however much time and go to the Valenti Brothers School. Absolutely. You have and programs for that? Okay. We do. We do. We have intensive courses that you can come. Know, immersion courses where you can stay here one week with me all day. Every class that I teach, you can be with me watching, learning, training, taking your own classes. There's many different ways for people who come from you know all over the world because the style of jiu-jitsu that we teach is unique. It's difficult to find something mm-hmm. in a school that teaches the way that we teach. So people come from all over the world, people in the jiu-jitsu community and people who never trained jiu-jitsu before. They come because they want to really immerse themselves in our art and in our philosophy. And one more thing that is so nice about this whole situation, you know, we believe in taking positives from negatives. So Yeah, I was going to ask you if you have anything online. Exactly, because you said it was easy for you because you already had a presence online. We didn't. We didn't at all. You know, our last day was on a Saturday and Monday we were already teaching online. So we never missed one day. And the first day my brother was holding his cell phone, you know, his iPhone (laughs) in a vertical position and I was teaching. And then two months later, we had a whole professional system with cameras on the wall. And my brother stays in this editing place where he can go from one camera to the other. And we really use this opportunity to be able to create something because, you know, we feel so grateful to our students that we want to give them our best. So that's what drives us. They're so good to us. We want to make sure that we're giving them the best. So we wanted to make sure that they were receiving the best possible training and support during this difficult time because it was very difficult for everyone. So my brothers and I, we were coming here to the school, the three of us every day, and we were doing our best for the kids and for the adults. And it just became something now that we have the capacity and it's still growing to be able to teach online. And we are creating courses to learn the philosophy of jiu-jitsu where you can take a course, you know, where you're going to get in the end a certificate. Oh my God, you just read my mind. Yes. I want that. Is it ready? Not yet, but it's almost ready. We are working on it as we speak and you're going to be able to get certified in the philosophy of jiu-jitsu, in the 753 code, in many elements, the history, that we're going to have a lot of different Obviously, I cannot teach you how to defend yourself online. Yeah. That I cannot do. 
but I can teach you about the philosophy and all of that. Well, that, as soon as it's ready, I'll announce it on another episode and we'll share that too, because Thanks I so know much. that people are going to want to do that. And what about that weekly class that you say, the philosophy? Is that something that's online or not yet? So we have two things. We have right now, you know, the training is adapted. We cannot have too many people in the school at the same time. But once things go back to normal, which I strongly believe that we will, by the way, once we go back to normal, we have two things that we do. We have individual programs where you can come, you can schedule and you can come here on your own and, and immerse yourself in our school and in our training for one or even two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that you do individually. And as long as our schedule allows for it and yours, we can do it anytime. But we also have twice a year, we do conferences where people come not only for our students, but for people from the outside. We do a 753 code conference and we do a Shokunin conference. Shokunin is this Japanese way of excellence of trying to do the best in everything you do. Mm. We have a conference for that as well. And then it's just lectures. We bring different people to do. Maybe one day you come and you teach some yoga to yeah, our students. That would be great. Have, you know, we talk about nutrition. We talk about philosophy. Yeah. We do some physical things on the mat as well, stretching, self-defense, you know, different things, but everything in line with the philosophy and with what the theme of that conference is. So we twice a year, we have conferences that we promote here in our school and people fly from all over the world to participate in these conferences. Wow, that's amazing. So how can people get a hold of you before I let you go? And thank you so much for your time again. I'm so excited we did this. But I want to give people the best way. Do you guys Instagram or the website? How can they reach out? So Valente Brothers, V-A-L-E-N-T. If you go to Valente Brothers on Instagram, you can follow our page. You can also go to the 753 Code page, which is the one focused on the philosophy and the nutrition. So 753 Code, and you can follow us on that page as well. You have the Valente Brothers page. You also can go to Facebook and follow Valente Brothers. You can go on YouTube and search Valente Brothers. You're going to find a lot of different videos, interviews. Also my name, Pedro Valente. You can find the TED Talk. You can find so many talks and videos. Oh, can I include the book in the show notes? Maybe I could include the book. So if people want to buy the book online. The only thing is we do not sell. Remember, okay. <laughs> we are very, very traditional. And now yes. with this, we're going to start having more online. But the only way to get the book is to come to the school. But if you call the school, I'll send you one and we can have that to your listeners as well. But soon it's going to be online as well. Do you have Instagram? Instagram, Valente Brothers. I have Instagram as well, personally. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Twitter. We have all the social media. You can find us. And we also have, during the pandemic, we created a closed Facebook group for our students and for our members where twice a week during the pandemic, we were doing every day. Now we're doing twice a week, but you can have the philosophy talk. For example, it's going to be tonight. It's every Friday night. We do it through the group. So people from other places in the world, they call us and they say, I want to become a member of the school so that I can participate in the group and watch your classes. So people do that as well. Oh, wow. That's so good. This is fantastic. This is awesome. You're just doing amazing, amazing work on this planet Earth. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Pedro. So one last question for you, and I'm going to include all of these social medias on our show notes so that people can go on the show notes and click on all that and find you easy. Sometimes I ask this question to some of my guests. The world needs more of... The world needs more. That's a good one. That's a deep one. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that you talked about today, really. The world yeah. needs all of that. I don't want to be cliche. I would say the world needs more confidence because I believe that a lot of the problems that we have in the world, the violence, the aggressiveness, they are expressions of insecurity. Insecurity leads many times to aggressiveness. Insecurity leads to violence. Insecurity leads to attacking other people, to being upset, to being angry, to committing terrible acts, to doing things that you know you might regret. So I believe that as we give people confidence, then that automatically creates tolerance and benevolence. Because we can say the world needs more benevolence. The world needs more peace. The world needs more understanding. But I believe that peace and benevolence and understanding and altruism and all those wonderful things cannot truly be achieved without confidence. So I think the world needs more confidence. This is amazing. Thank you so much. You are the best. 
Nah, you're the best. I really appreciate you and I appreciate our friendship. So many years, this opportunity to reconnect. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to Life on Earth podcast. Wow, what an amazing episode. Pedro is really such an amazing human, right? So many lessons, so many jewels. I am so grateful that Pedro shared all of his knowledge with us. And it is a no-brainer that if you want jujitsu knowledge, take that flight, get on that plane, however it is that you're going to get there, go to the Valenti Brothers and learn from nothing but the best. If you like the show, subscribe, leave us a great review. I hope to see you again. And for now, I'm sending you so much love and lots of peace. Until next, my friend.